0: Store, the
1: back row of the grindhouse, the furthest regions of celluloid. This is Video Store. hello and welcome back to video store nightmares the podcast where we discuss the strange the bizarre and the hallucinogenic films of the vhs era tonight we're talking about a really weird low budget 1984 straight to video oddity and only on video by the way this doesn't even have a post vhs release it is the jar from 1984 My name is Luke, and I'm
0: joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find 1984's The Jar on YouTube and probably nowhere else unless you want to shell out 50 bucks for a VHS. Just be aware that all the copies I was able to find online only had audio through one speaker, so you will need to set your settings to mono. (laughs) I think this is a first for us. I mean, I
1: watched the VHS, so it's. But even that doesn't have the highest quality. Um, it was put out by Magnum Entertainment, uh, one of the more unfortunately named video companies, I think. You know what? Let me tell you about the box right now. This is as good a place to start as any with this movie. Um, on the front, it has like this. Uh, green ghoul Slimer looking thing climbing out of a, a jar and it says it blows the lid off terror. Paul... Once an easygoing guy has just experienced the shock of his life, and now he's gone absolutely crazy. He's just come face to gruesome face with a repulsive embryonic creature he discovered in a jar, and it sure looks like it's out to get him. He can't get a hold of himself, and those bizarre nightmares are really getting on his nerves. He's not even paying attention to his beautiful neighbor, Crystal, and that's not normal. It's that thing in the jar that's to blame. But for some reason, he just can't seem to get rid of it. It's already made his life miserable, and now it wants to kill him. Boy, does Paul have a monster of a problem.
0: That's awful.
1: (laughs) It really is. It's almost like trying to take what is a... If you haven't seen it, this is a very abstract, surreal dreamlike film uh and if you were gonna try to sell it as like a family-friendly horror movie a la like ghostbusters i think that's the way you'd talk about it
0: this movie is anything but that
1: it it most certainly is not so i know we have I know we have theories about what this film's actually about let's save those until after the trailer for now let's just talk about the film and and save all that interpretation till folks know what the fuck we're talking about
0: we don't even got a trailer
1: uh but we are we have something else to play for you instead So this film was directed by a guy named Bruce Toscano. It was written by a guy named George Bradley, and it stars a guy named Gary Wallace, none of whom ever did another movie. So this is a real one and done.
0: Um, Does that surprise you? The most surprising thing about this film is that you would expect, especially if you've been watching it for the first time. 75 percent there's there's just a huge spike in production value at the end that is absolutely baffling to me for a shot on video film that is the most surprising thing about the jar so i don't think any i think this
1: was all shot on film but there is an explanation for why it goes up in quality at the end so I'm going to put together two pieces of information here. The first is on IMDb, Gary Wallace, the star, wrote a review, and uh, in that review, he says that they had to film during two different time periods. So he said that if you pay attention, his hair length changes from scene to scene in cases. because they had to like scrap together some more money and then get back together. And at some point finish filming. The other theory I've heard is that when they handed this movie over to the studio, the studio was like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. You need to add a new ending and like put some action in there and do, you know, something exciting. And thus you got the last 15 minutes of the film.
0: So that was not part of the original plan. I don't think so, but I don't know. That makes about just as much sense as everything that happens in the jar. Totally fair. So um,
1: it, according to the according to the star, according to the guy who names uh, who plays Paul, shoot, what is his name? I just said it. something Wallace. Why don't you know this actor's name, Leland?
0: Um,
1: uh, so according uh. to Ger- According to Gary Wallace, the budget for this film was $200,000, which blows me away when you think about we did kingdom of the vampire a few weeks ago, which was a $2,000 budget. And I think that movie's better made than this movie. Two hundred
0: thousand dollars went into this film. Yes. So was like two thirds of that the final part of the film?
1: I can only imagine, unless the writer-director here are just scamming the studio and giving themselves big paychecks. I, I don't know what else you would have spent money on in this film. It's yeah, almost I, a one-location
0: shoot. I, I see why this was a one-and-done, because no one probably wanted to work with these people ever again.
1: Yeah, it. I mean, it's either incompetence or just willful laziness or something but i can see why these these guys wouldn't go on to have a career
0: oh let's let's not rule out maliciousness like maybe these were two artists who just wanted to get all the money possible to realize their vision
1: yeah totally possible yeah uh what did you think of the performances
0: oh man uh paul here i don't know if it's the dubbing but it comes off as really really lame <laughs> it like i am not convinced at any point that this man is experiencing real emotions so <laughs> yeah he's really bad he's really bad everyone but you, um you know it's like the mannerisms and all that were fine right it's like normal i, I know you said this is shot on film but i'm still i'm still gonna say shot on video the quality is that bad it looks like it's shot on video um But the dubbing is just horrendous. Like it sounds like people just reading a script to themselves in a booth. And that is exactly what you want to avoid when you're doing dubbing. So, this is a good moment to read
1: his review because this is going to give us some important information. He says, Hello, this is Paul, who was in the jar. And many thanks to those of you who actually saw the movie. I have to agree. It was one of the worst movies ever made. But because I was in it, I had to give it a four. Okay, my acting was horrible. But in my defense most of the movie was shot in one take we shot the movie in two stretches of two weeks if you look closely you'll notice my hair is longer in some scenes than others one stretch was shot in the fall when my hair is longer the other stretch was shot in the spring when my hair is shorter then we did some pickup shots later in the summer we hardly rehearsed any scenes at all All I can say is we did our best with what we had. If I remember correctly, the movie was shot on a budget of about $200,000. Oh, and yep, we dubbed all of the dialogue. We would shoot from 5 or 6 a.m. until it got dark, then go to the sound studio and dub until 1 or 2 a.m., then get up and shoot the next day. The director decided he didn't want the 60 hertz signal so he could sync the recorded voices up to the film. So he and his assistant ended up cutting little pieces of tape and splicing them together to at least try to make the sound match the movie. In Bruce's, the director's defense, he was a decent photographer. I think he and the scriptwriter had a vision of what they wanted the movie to be. If I remember correctly, they were trying to portray various incidents of inhumanity and how inhumanity could pass from one person to the next. So if any of you know of any sci-fi cons where they would like a commentary on what some some consider to be the worst film ever made, send me an email
0: you know it's normal to question the authenticity of some of these like uh, I'm gonna I'm doing air quotes here, celebrity reviews but if this guy is putting his email address and saying yo contact me for cons he's it's, this is probably legit. I think it's legit. And
1: uh, he mentioned elsewhere and something else I read that the musical score was done by the director and the director of photography that they paired up to form a little synth duo. What do you think of the music?
0: I think it's great. Um, it definitely doesn't match the awful video and dubbing quality, but it's welcome.
1: It's probably the best part of the movie, I think. It's like electronic synth Berlin school type stuff. There's a few moments where I think there's a theremin, but it, it the the mood that this movie manages to accomplish is entirely, I think, thanks to the music.
0: So, let's get this out of the way now. Do you think this is one of the worst films of all time?
1: No. I don't Indeed. think it's that horrid actually.
0: Yeah, it, this could have
1: been way worse. I you know, not to spoil my review, but basically I think this is a a badly made film, it's a badly acted film, but at least it's trying to do something interesting, and at least there seems to be a lot of thought behind it, and that's more than you can say for most horror movies.
0: If this is the worst movie you've ever seen, you have lived a blessed life.
1: Yeah, now will I like if I was having a group of people over who I really wanted to impress with my film taste would I put this on no no (laughs) (laughs) but it's not the worst all right let's play so we don't have a trailer but over the opening credits about two-thirds of the way through a a poem begins I I I I I I I I I I I I I consume the lifeless moments of shadows the flickering seconds of memories. I stand on the edge of darkness. I am the night. Black, dark, cold, silent. I see
0: that what I see is me. <laughs> Man, that really transports me back, like to some shitty coffee house, like pre-COVID, where you just have amateur poetry night. Some guy just talking in your one ear because it's in fucking <laughs> one. Again, I my computer's not on mono anymore, so it just sounds like one guy is talking a poem into my ear.
1: So this is the first time you've watched this. After that poem, what did you think you were in for?
0: I was expecting something kind of like beyond dreams door and in a way it's they're pretty similar, but I feel like, uh, this movie misses some sort of like cohesion that beyond dreams door managed to hit. And I can't quite articulate it right now, but do you feel maybe the same way? Yeah, so
1: as, while I was watching it, that's the connection I made. I was like, oh, this is like Beyond Dream's Door. It, it feels like a student film, sort of pseudo-intellectual, but low budget. Um, but if I recall, Beyond Dream's Door was made with like $7,000. So there's a big discrepancy if the actor is right about the budget. But anyway, no, I, I think the difference is both are like dream, dream logic films, and both um, have a lot of surrealistic imagery, but beyond dreams door is literal about its. It is literally about dreams manifesting themselves because they, they've, they've been forgotten in coming after somebody. I don't think anything in the jar is literal. I think it's all allegorical. It's all supposed to be symbolic. And, um, I don't think it necessarily pulls that off, but I think that's why this movie feels like it lacks a lot of the cohesion that Beyond Dream's Door
0: has. So I think Beyond Dream's Door did have the advantage of having like tons of free labor via like uh, inspired college students trying to get a filmmaking career, right? Right. Uh, the Jar, I don't know. What do you think the, the crew size for this movie was like 10? maybe or less.
1: Yeah. I was there. So I'm thinking there was probably the director, the writer, there was a director of photography, the, the director and the director of photography did the music. I, they did the editing. We know that because the, the actor told us that in the review. So
0: that might've been it. You know, for like a five man team, this is a pretty stellar film.
1: I definitely would... Like, if I found out tomorrow that this director made another film, I would want to watch it.
0: Yeah, well, wouldn't you have to look at the Magic 8-Ball? Just go ahead and throw that shit right in there. Next episode.
1: Well, unfortunately, he didn't make any other films that we know of. We know I of. couldn't find any information on either of these guys. So... Maybe there... they
0: had to flee the country. Maybe the studio press charges for... <laughs> Misuse of funds <laughs> I will say there there are some like
1: there are really rare v h s tapes out there, and this isn't one of them this i mean it's it's reasonably hard to find, but it's not like a five thousand dollar tape uh and it was released on Magnum, which was a fairly big company. But it, it, it is unique in that it hasn't come out on any other formats, even some of those like rarest of the rare VHS tapes stuff like on Donna Michelle and camp video and. Um, the other Tempe the other like really obscure VHS companies those movies all, all have blu ray releases now. It's just bizarre to me that this is still languishing in obscurity. It's not that bad. And I've actually seen some people post on Instagram about liking this movie. So I think it would have an audience if it if it got a release. I can't even imagine who
0: owns the rights to this film.
1: Maybe nobody.
0: I'll say I if I was a VHS collector, I would totally put this on my shelf. Like, yeah, it's not the best movie, but it's very distinctive. Um, It's something you can show off to very particular people.
1: So let's run through the plot as much as there is one uh, in a couple minutes and then let's talk about interpreting this movie. Does that sound good?
0: I don't I think a couple minutes is is probably not enough time, but I think we can do it faster than normal.
1: Okay, so here it goes. So our main character Paul He's involved in a car accident in the first scene of the movie with this mysterious old man who insists they not go to the hospital, they don't go to a doctor. The only place he is accepting of going is Paul's apartment, which is insane, by the way. If, you, if this happens to you, don't take the person home to your apartment. But he has this weird demon fetus creature in a jar which they bring home with them a moment later this guy disappears leaving paul alone in the apartment with the with the jar and from here on out the rest of the movie is a series of constant hallucinations and dreams that paul has uh, intermittently interrupted by his new neighbor crystal who inexplicably has a crush on him that's the plot right
0: yeah I, I suppose that's the gist of it so what do you think this film's actually about I have I have two ideas and I don't know which one's right I, I they- think the the low-hanging fruit is that this is probably some sort of possession film right like whatever is in that jar is trying to take over or ruin the life of our main character okay right? that makes sense yeah i, I can that's, see that that's, that's the easiest interpretation if you want to try to go ap lit on it then maybe you could see this as uh, some sort of um, struggle like morality struggle between uh, maybe evil or Satan or something in the form of the jar and the old man and good in the form of Crystal, who is not actually a neighbor, but maybe something else This that's disguised as the neighbor. And they're both fighting over either Paul's soul or trying to get him to do something with his humanity to, I don't know, trigger something that is not really made clear in the film so both
1: of those make sense to me and maybe this is batshit crazy but i think this is a movie about aids hmm. so in order to make this this makes sense i want to read you something from Stephen thrower's book Nightmare USA which we've talked about in the past um, he gives this movie a pretty favorable review but I just want to read a couple of, of um, paragraphs because this is this is similar to my interpretation he says Paul's slightly effete manner and the constant positioning of him as victim frequently nude or semi nude suggest the possibility of a gay reading Plus, there's something about the way Wallace wears a pair of jeans that just screams Metropolitan Homo. The actors... The actor's hesitant, resolutely unmacho screen presence and the character's status as a single man prone to visions of quasi-sexual victimization suggest, as a sing- suggest a story about someone struggling with a closeted sexuality. However, given that the film's only other key character, Crystal, is set up as a possible love interest, it's hard to tell where Paul's sexual confusion ends and the writer's begins the recurrent symbolism of the jar in its silent malevolent occupant points towards a species of guilt gnawing away at the character could paul be guilty that he's not contributing to the continuance of the species or else the jar could represent the closet itself with a deformed creature trapped within silently reproaching the dreamer Quote, I'm not going to let you keep haunting me. I'm not going to let you tear me apart. Get out, Paul screams. The twisted denial implicit here suggests the very symbol of the character's self-repression is blamed for the repression itself, with truth or self-knowledge blamed for threatening the success of repression. He goes on to say, Paul's dreams and hallucinations are populated by a number of characters, but who are they? The first we see is a boy rising up from a bath full of blood. Then there's the street kid, sometimes broodingly aggressive, sometimes tear-stained, who turns up in a scene where Paul dreams the two of them are standing together on a ledge. The narcissistic quality of the film suggests that both of these figures are younger versions of Paul, although the latter, with his hustlerish appearance, could also be an illicit object of desire. Paul also dreams of a little girl who lets go of the string of her balloon, like Spermatozoa, and then reaches out to hold his hand. Perhaps she represents the daughter he'll never have. Who knows?
0: When was this book written? This book was written 2007. Was it still politically correct to say Metropolitan Homo in 2007? Well, he... he,
1: (laughs) I think it was. I think he's also being intentionally irreverent. He does put it in quotes, if that helps at all. Okay. (laughs) So my... I don't agree with all of that, but what I think what I think is that the encounter with the old man at the beginning is meant to be a sexual encounter and it's probably Paul's first homosexual encounter. And that's why he comes home with him, because like what else do you do after your first gay experience, but he leaves behind this demonic presence which i take as a stand in for an you know a sexually transmitted disease and that derails paul's life going forward and it doesn't lead it like the the hallucinations are representative of his struggles with his sexuality which now he doesn't feel like he can deny to himself any longer he tries to build this relationship with crystal or she tries to build it with him and he's not interested in fact he reacts almost angrily violently in moments um that's all his repressed sexuality that that's how i take the film that's why i think it's about aids and 1984 would be the perfect time period too um, because the aids crisis really started in the us in in 82.
0: all right i see where you're coming from um i don't i mean i can't say whether it's right or wrong because for all i know the people that made this movie don't even fucking know what they did but one thing we need to mention about every single character in this film is that nobody acts natural no and that is probably due to you know the rushed film schedule and probably bad screenwriting like none of these people seem believable at all and i don't think that's intentional i think it's just bad writing
1: yeah they don't seem remotely believable so let let me say one other thing about the the allegory thing and then i think we could put that aside um whatever this movie's intentions it doesn't pull them off (laughs) <laughs> right. Can we agree on that? Yeah. Yes, like, we can agree wh- on that. What, whatever this movie's trying to say, whether it's about demonic possession or it's about fear of AIDS or closeted sexuality or whatever, it does not communicate that. That's why we just had like a 20-minute conversation about what it could be. It's it doesn't pull it off. But I do I do respect that the movie is trying to do something right yeah, it's no. not it's not just trying to rip off friday the 13th
0: nah man it's summer right imagine imagine you're at the pool and the jar steps up to the diving board and it's like <laughs> yo i'm gonna do a fucking flip and then it does like a backflip and hits its head on the board on the way down <laughs> there you go that's what it's like watching this film
1: All right, so let's talk about the characters and why you don't think they're natural. Let's start with Crystal. So Crystal is I guess she's lived in the same building as Paul for a while, but they've just now met for the first time. And and she is immediately very interested.
0: (laughs) So you see these completely illogical human interactions. And you have two responses, right? You can either just say, yo, this movie sucks and just, you know, trudge on. Or you can try to rationalize it. So like you just went into this spiel about how Paul's immediate rejection of Crystal, a woman who is naturally interested in him, is like some sort of like uh sign of <laughs> repress. <laughs> <laughs> of like, I guess, just like rejecting heteronormativity or something, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I'm trying to keep it together here. <laughs> but I, I, re- <laughs> and then you know, I like not too long ago was like, well, maybe Crystal isn't really a person. <laughs> and that's how you can rationalize it. Like, we're trying. This, this is a defense mechanism. <laughs> while we're watching this film trying to rationalize why this be and in retrospect that's probably (laughs) one of the best joys you can get out of watching this film is is trying to like it's trying to squeeze as much juice from this withered fruit that you possibly can
1: so so let's go over this initial interaction so she has a rocking chair that she's bringing home
0: is it even on frame when he gets on the elevator i didn't notice it no it's like she just looks down and says do you like my rocker (laughs) (laughs) like man i I remember thinking like is she talking about her blouse is there a furniture in the
1: elevator (laughs) No, I knew she's talking about a rocker because I'd seen it before, but I no, I don't think it's in frame at all. Yeah, you see, I think you see it a little later, right? It could. Yeah, you see it later yeah. that it is a rocking chair. It it could be like a bad crop job on the VHS. All right, Leo, but... let's
0: not hyper focus on like Schrodinger's chair here. Schrodinger's rocker.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it, <laughs> she, first of all, it is obvious that Paul has nothing to do with her. That he doesn't want her to talk to him. That he is like really unhappy and obsessed with something else. But she's like, you don't seem happy. Is something bothering you? And he says, are you always this perceptive? She says, no, you're just really obvious. And then she asks him out.
0: All right. So, you know, we already mentioned Kingdom of the Vampire once, right? I don't know if this is another screenwriter inserts you know his his you know waifu his dream waifu into the fucking script for his main character that maybe he's also putting himself in the role but the problem is that unlike kingdom of the vampire this character is maybe about 10% flushed out <laughs> <laughs> like this character is not is this does not feel complete at all it doesn't feel like a person so either it's not a person or this is bad writing. You can chalk it up to either.
1: Yeah, the the next scene where they're together, she comes into his apartment and he starts marching towards her really angrily looking. It, it, she, he says, why don't you try knocking next time? And uh, this is after he was screaming at his dreams, but she still wants to stay she's not like well fuck you
0: yeah it's the the natural reaction is either fuck you even though she technically burgled his property or or get away from me i'm calling the police words that probably should have been said multiple times throughout this film yet are not anywhere to be found in the script
1: pretty much any of their interactions i think should have ended with the police being called If only for Paul's welfare, right? Because one thing I think this movie does do right is Paul actually seems legitimately mentally ill throughout the entire movie. What seems wrong is that no one seems to react to it.
0: Yeah, but um, that's what I was saying earlier, right? The dubbing is really bad and it really takes you out of like trying to take any of these portrayal seriously but like on screen like his physical reactions like how he's like managing his his movement and his like honestly it feels like he's schizophrenic like that's what it really comes off as yeah pulls the look off well and maybe part of it like i didn't notice this when watching it but the hair lengths changing between scenes did you notice that yeah man like if i had noticed that i probably would have just thought it was intended because everything else in this film is so disjointed yeah or i don't know maybe maybe i would have thought it was incompetence i I don't know i don't know i don't know anything about this about this film i watched it but i don't know anything (laughs) so there is a
1: scene where he kind of cops to the fact that he's being fucking weird um crystal has put a note on his door to come meet her at a bar and he he shows up and she's like, I didn't think you'd show. And his response is, of course I showed. I had to get out of the apartment. Like has nothing to do with coming to see her. He just has to get out. But he blatantly asks, why are you so interested in me? And her response is, you carried my rocker. I consider that a very personal favor. <laughs> And he says, you know, I like you, but I'm always yelling at you. And she says he's like a lost little boy, and she just wants to take care of him.
0: This was the scene where I was, you know, at this point, I'm still trying to figure out what I think is going on and why are people acting like this? Please don't let it just be bad script writing. And um, I was, she was, as soon as she's like, I'm into psychology, I was like, oh, she's like, she's like uh, Captain Save-A-Bro. You know, she just <laughs> wants to, to get that sad boy and like complete his life and shit, which is, I don't think that's really common. But, you know, it, it happens. So like we 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 all know like that guy who bases like his identity around like solving other people's problems. And then they take it to like the next level where they try to like date that damsel in distress where, <laughs> you know, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so I kind of was seeing uh, Crystal as just like the feminine version of that.
1: Well, that that makes sense to me. But there is a final scene, which to me suggested that this was his version of coming out. Where she says that she wants to stay with him and help him. He's finally like kind of told her what's going on. And he, he goes to her and he says, you're beautiful. And I thank you for trying, but I've gotta do this by myself. And then they kiss and he leaves. And to me, that sounded very much like I love you, I should be attracted to you, but sorry, I'm gay. That's just how it struck me.
0: No, I think this interpretation is just as valid as anything else going into this movie. Maybe it's it's kind of like a Rorschach test for um
1: Sexuality.
0: <laughs> yeah, like film interpretation or something.
1: I don't know. He he uh, he sets off my Gator to the extent I have any. Are <laughs> right, you so let's talk about his various dreams or or
0: hallucinations or whatever they are.
1: Did you think any of these were particularly meaningful?
0: Definitely not in the beginning. I'm not I I guess maybe this is because they were filming on different schedules and with you know vastly different resources but the first quarter of this film maybe first half is very front-loaded with special lighting techniques like they bust out like multicolored lights to set the mood there's a lot of tricks where they like have characters standing in front of bright lights to get certain imagery i don't know why but the that is very prevalent in the first like quarter of it. And it kind of seemed like it was overplayed and I was hoping the dream, like nature of this film was going to progress beyond that. And it does. So on that front, I was satisfied that they took a different approach. Maybe it's because they did get that like influx of, you know, cash from the studio. They were able to do other things
1: it It does seem like for the first thirty minutes or so, the hallucinations are all pretty standard, like horror movie stuff, like yes. a kid comes out of a bathtub of blood and there's a scary face in the mirror, and he sees a bunch of crickets on the the counter and pushes them into the drain, like stuff like that, general creepy shit, but then they start to get strange, um like I think genuinely strange uh there's lots of visions of him being crucified or like in a position of like with his arms outstretched you know and his head back uh there's the scene i read about from the thrower book where there's this kid with purple balloons that lets go of them and then takes his hand and it's very weird it looks like him holding this strange child's
0: hand i don't know Was that really weird to you no, I mean, I think this is where the movie shines is when you have. OK, OK, the turning point is when he gets sick of the jar and he throws it away in a dumpster. After that point is when the dream sequences get weirder. Like you're saying, he, there's scenes where it looks like he's being crucified from like a top angle view and you can't actually see his wrists. But, it, you know, you know what's going on.
1: There is a really big epic dream part where he's on like a fog covered street and he meets this younger guy that thrower said he thought was a younger version of himself.
0: That's kind of how I interpreted it too.
1: I interpreted it as his gay desire. His, His, he, he had been with crystal that day, but here he is dreaming about this young guy instead. And that's his desire you know confronting him in the face
0: you think he specifically wants to date someone who murders other men on the street with a meat hook because <laughs> that's what happens when they first meet
1: well the thing about poetry and uh i think that this film is trying to be poetry is like you're never going to settle on a definitive interpretation I have no idea what what a a meat hook means to the director. It must mean something.
0: And then, as the meat hook pierced the yorta of his victim, our eyes met across the <laughs> black and white street.
1: It it's very that's, that's
0: also why I thought it was um like a memory or something because the whole this whole segment's in black and white, and it didn't need to be.
1: Yeah, although I do like the way it looks, it reminded me of this is such a a niche description, um, but it reminded me of black and white gay leather pornography is specifically like, I don't know if you ever what was that music video, if you ever saw the original music video for relax, don't do it by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Uh, The original video is in a gay leather nightclub with very explicit sex going on, and they did not allow them to release that video in the United States. But that's what it reminded me of, was that kind of imagery. Like you've got this tough punk, traditionally very attractive, guy with like leather outfit on out in the street in black and white surrounded by fog it seemed very
0: erotic i didn't really interpret it as erotic but maybe that's because it's not my scene i wasn't looking for that yeah you know i just saw a young adult get murdered with a meat hook and then these two went up on i'm assuming a wall or rooftop to just gaze out over the city
1: well, it seems like they're both tempted to jump, but at some yeah. point, the younger guy just kind of pushes Paul. And then we see him running down the street and there's these weird animalistic screams in the background. I actually found this really unsettling. Hmm. Did any of the dreams or the hallucinations um really work for you? Like, did any creep you out or
0: I think trouble the last- you? I think the last one had some merit, but we're jumping ahead. Oh, we've kind of jumped all around. Yeah. I, mean, um, I guess this movie does that too.
1: Are you talking about the one where that starts with the guy um, flashing the tarot card and there's the strobe lights? No, I'm talking about the war scene. Ah, the war scene. All right. Yeah. Let's not get there quite yet. Yeah. Um, There is a weird scene where he bumps into the old guy from the beginning and the guy quotes uh, Poe saying everything is a dream within a
0: dream. Was this meaningful to you? No, I thought that was cliche as fuck.
1: Oh, I definitely do too. I don't think it's effective. Uh, But I think if you read the poem, it is obvious that's what they're striving for. Like, They saw the Poe poem as emblematic of their screenplay and then they shoehorned it in in an incredibly awkward way <laughs> that's how i read that
0: do you do you think that this is supposed to be like a modern day poe-esque tale because, yes i don't know man i think i mean there's so many marks this film has missed <laughs> but it's so strange that this film bails on so many fronts but i still don't think it's that bad
1: Cause it's ambitious. I mean, yeah. it, even though some of these uh, like literary devices are really hackneyed, like this Poe illusion, it's still most movies don't even have any, right? So at least it's at least it's shooting arrows. Like it might not be hitting a bullseye, but it's it's playing the game. And yeah, most <laughs> movies most movies aren't thinking that hard. Hmm. So I do, I do enjoy it for that. And I also just like films like this, like surrealistic films, films with non-traditional narratives. To me, this feels like it's really trying to be Eraserhead. And I think that's where the idea for the Jar Baby came from. That like, all right, in Eraserhead, we have Jack Nance and he has a creepy baby and his uh, his wife has abandoned him and here in this movie we'll have a guy and a baby in a creepy jar and the guy who brought it and had gay sex with our hero uh he disappears and it's it mirrors that structure but i like that structure it's it's interesting to me did you get the uh did you feel an eraser head comparison
0: yeah this feels like um very this whole movie feels like a very watered down david lynch but without the ultimate intent that a lot of his films have
1: i think it's trying to be david lynch but it doesn't have the first david lynch is is amazingly skilled with establishing mood with using sound with showing images um plus he's working with angelo ballamente one of the best composers of all time like you've got a a pretty unique confluence of uh talent and in in David Lynch and his uh filmmaking partners. You can't just mimic that. Right? Like you can't you can't What's, accomplish that. But was this movie mimicking David Lynch? When was this film's coming out? Is this came out in nineteen eighty four? So Eraserhead I think was seventy seven.
0: Uh okay. Let's see. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Eraserhead was
0: 77. No, um, he, yeah, right, This guy's this guy's trying to imitate.
1: Yeah, I think even Blue Velvet had come out by time this movie did. Let's see, Blue Velvet was 86. Okay, so Blue Velvet was after. Yeah, but,
0: but Eraserhead was so like prolific for like under, underground bizarre movies, right? That yeah, the, the the makers of this film undoubtedly saw it and probably took inspiration. So that does put this film in a kind of a different light much like there's 50 different kinds of colored lights in the beginning of this film all right
1: do you want to talk
0: about the vietnam scene all right so this was a huge surprise for me because most of these films don't have the budget to do something like this we should probably talk about what precedes it though right there's the scene in the desert, they're walking around and it's not really a desert. It's more of a canyon, badlands, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, mostly s- sand and blowing dust with, with rock, rock outcrops throughout. And there's all these monks who are, st- they start to st- by standing around. And then they start to like form a march behind a guy who's carrying a cross, a la Jesus at the crucifixion what did you think about this part
0: man i was starting to question whether or not this guy was supposed to be like the second coming of christ but i didn't really know how that was all going to come about from a weird doll in a jar <laughs> yeah I, couldn't I mean put the pieces together
1: at one point it on the one hand this last part is really interesting to me. I think it's the best made part of the movie,
0: and I think it has the most going on, but I don't
1: really think it fits in with the rest of the movie.
0: This must have been where all the extra money went, right? You got that's what I figured the canyon scene, the war scene that we're about to discuss. And I'm in retrospect, maybe the black and white scene with, you know, the. Possibly a homosexual innuendo, um, maybe that was added as well.
1: Yeah, that that could make sense.
0: You know what we could probably confirm this if we like went scene by scene and compared the length of the hair because <laughs> if he had the same length of hair in all of those scenes then that would confirm it. I don't care that much. No, you don't want to play video detective.
1: Not on this one.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, it, but this war scene, what yeah, I think first makes it so jarring is that <laughs> jarring is that uh the Budget. I think most of the budget went here. They got jungle locations, tons of extras who are dying in a river. There's uh, pyrotechnics going off in the background. A helicopter. A fucking helicopter. Um, I have kind of a pet peeve with like movies that take place in Vietnam, but then they bring out a helicopter that like did not exist during that time frame. Yeah. But this is like some weird ass disjointed dream. So you can explain that away in this case. As, as this guy is, um, you know, he's suddenly Paul is dressed as a soldier and he's among all these other men. This could be an image of a past life that Paul had. This could be just some manifestation of like how he's supposed to react in the sight of such inhumanity. But in this case, he's seeing a bunch of soldiers die He's seeing a bunch, he's, there's a really weird scene where there's a child inexplicably in the jungle and runs up and hugs one of the soldiers like it's a parent, only to have the, the dad get shot and die while holding his kid. I'm going to blow your mind.
1: What if this is a flashback to when Paul was in Vietnam, where he had his first gay experience? with a man who was killed in action. There's
0: not enough there. And the last... Okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so we got to explain how this ends. After he witnesses all these things, he gets to the end of this river, pretty much the only person still standing, and in front of them is a very well-dressed man sitting in a fancy chair, drinking um, probably some, like, mixed drink and we never see this guy's face and he's just looking at paul so maybe maybe that was the person who awakened the 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 latent waiting homosexuality in paul or this was
1: god condemning him i'm being partly facetious with all this no but no the, the, the point you're is you're putting
0: just as much thought into this as the screenwriters who made this
1: that's what it feels like it feels like a high school AP literature class where people are just throwing out <laughs> the most absurd <laughs> ideas possible because there's no definitive way to interpret any of this and God. especially these parts don't seem to go with the rest of the movie
0: no no now I'm getting fucking flashbacks from AP exams where it's like you have to read the fucking the boring ass poem and then you have to be like what is the author's intent what's fuck I don't know if you saw this but a few years ago in the local news here in Florida eight the AP program actually used someone's copyrighted poem without her permission and then asked the, you know the question what was the author's intent So first off, she was pissed off that they used her poem without asking. I don't know how that resolved in court. But the other thing was that apparently there was a right answer for what the author's intent was supposed to be. And when she saw the answer, she was like, no, that wasn't it at all. (laughs) 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 Which is always how I felt when I was in high school doing that shit. I I was like, how do you fucking know what this person's trying to do? I I was always really good at doing that, but I don't put
1: any real credence in it. Like, I always found it kind of silly. It's
0: dumb. I, I wonder if other countries have that in their English programs.
1: I'm sure they do. Like, especially I can imagine that among Europeans, like, interpreting literature.
0: Yeah, but, like, so specifically, like, you have to get, like, the exact thought process of the author.
1: That is weird to me. I haven't even heard of that on an AP test, but maybe. Anyhow, anything- so anyway, yeah,
0: people are dying in the battlefield. And um, I guess Paul has fallen for the suit guy or it's God. Like you said, you know, God sipping a martini being like, yeah, man, you sh- should have stayed and fought with your brothers.
1: Yeah. And then there's one other dream sequence after this where Paul is hugging see this also adds to my interpretation paul is hugging um, crystal but then crystal morphs into the old man from the beginning and paul strangles
0: him what did you think about this part but then the old man turns into crystal on the floor how does that fit in
1: see i think I think that when, when he's, ki- he's killing the old man, he's strangling the old man because he is so furious about his sexual desires and he's so frustrated by them and wants to resist them. And it, it, both those things are personified in Crystal. He's actually killing Crystal, but he's killing her because when he desires her, all he can really desire is the old man.
0: I, I think this one's a lot simpler. You know, old man just simply tricked him into killing the only person that really had his back.
1: Because you think the old man is like a demonic presence?
0: Or some kind of evil entity, yeah. Uh, and then tricked him into killing the good incarnation that was taking the form of crystal or whatever. And then once he like killed that, you know, he failed the test. He failed the morality test.
1: Well, there's a scene right after this where he's... it he's brushing dirt off of a face that's buried in a flower pot what was this about it's crystal oh is it so you think he put her there to hide the body
0: maybe that that is up to that is up in the air who the fuck knows but yeah he's just finds himself in a completely different location fucks around the dirt oh my god it's crystal and then we don't see paul again that was that was his last scene
1: Nope. This movie ends with his coworker coming to check on him and we see him looking at the floor screaming,
0: but we don't really know what he sees. There is a shot of the jar right before um, he yeah. starts screaming. So presumably co-worker caught the AIDS, according to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Um, is there anything else you want to say about this before we uh, give final thoughts?
0: I appreciate that there is more than one scene in this movie where they absolutely bust the shit out of the jar.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they build it up like it's a big deal. Like he's really struggling with his desire to to destroy the jar. And then it ends up not mattering anyway, because it just comes back.
0: Yeah, he smashes it with a lead pipe in the kitchen. No special effects there, man. They just Literally broke it right there in the probably the director's kitchen. Yeah. He throws (laughs) it out a window at one point. Throws it out a window. They they do a lot of things in this jar. He puts it in a dumpster. Yeah, he puts it in the dumpster, but like gently. Like he doesn't even throw it. He's just like, all right, here you go.
1: No, because at that point he wasn't so angry at it yet.
0: Is there a is there a metaphor there that we need to address? I don't think so. God think think about all the things the shark could represent, right? Like AIDS, humanity, uh unwanted child. The...
1: Maybe maybe it's the child that Paul wants to have, but can't because he's a man. <laughs> maybe this is a movie about his desire to transition. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he wants to have children
0: oh yes the jar (laughs) (laughs) so multifaceted (laughs) like if eraserhead
1: is a film about the fear and anxiety of fatherhood then this is a movie about the yearning that a trans woman has to become pregnant
0: oh that's such a stretch (laughs)
1: let's give final thoughts and a rating out of four
0: so uh online the internet says that this is one of the worst films of all time and the imdb rating is (laughs) just barely two stars honestly i think just about every other episode we cover a movie that could be perceived by the internet as like the worst movie ever and and i can tell you that this is definitely like nowhere near the bottom (laughs) I mean, it certainly is bad when it comes to the overall execution, but somehow this remains a fun viewing experience. I don't know. Maybe Luke and I are kind of inoculated to this sort of this sort of film craft that we can we can stomach the stuff more than the regular, the average person. And if you are listening to this, maybe you're like that too, but although this isn't a good film, if you are into just artsy independent stuff that tries to go out on a limb with dream logic and exploration into human behavior, whether it actually is successful at telling us anything or not, then... This is actually worth your time, especially since you can find it so readily available on the internet. All you gotta do is make sure you set your audio to mono so you can enjoy it without thinking there's just one guy whispering in your ear the whole film. At the very least, you get some cool synthesizer music. So, you know, show up for the latent homosexuality struggle for humanity. Stay for the synth music. I'm gonna give this a very very generous very generous two stars just because i didn't hate watching it (laughs) (laughs) and i don't i don't know if that's right (laughs) that that's my morality struggle i
1: you know filmmakers like david lynch and in a different way alejandro Yudorowski and even someone like um like who made beyond dreams door they can jam together all these surrealistic visions and nonlinear plots and allegories and metaphorical images and on and on and on because they have such a command of mood and tone and the visuals and all of the the technical aspects of film that they can lull you into that dream state, right, where you're not requiring logic of what you're watching and you're not working to interpret it it's just kind of happening in your mind it it happens organically that that's the way i feel like when i watch a Yodorowski movie which if you haven't seen any of his films first you should but secondly they combine lots of different images and symbols that don't go together um but are somehow all still meaningful and i think think he can do that because of his command of the technique this guy just doesn't have that skill so when i'm watching the jar i'm having to work to try to interpret each scene and i shouldn't have to work that hard because you should have put me in a frightened or a confused or a dreamlike mood state And this film doesn't really accomplish that. There are moments where it does, and that's largely thanks to the music. It just can't maintain that. So a lot of its imagery and its symbols just kind of seem silly, or they don't have any effect because it's unclear what kind of effect is intended. And the acting combined with the dubbing, combined with just the poor filmmaking techniques, make it very hard to actually get invested uh, and to care about what's happening to the characters. I actually think Paul's a little annoying um, and Crystal is definitely annoying. But with all that said, I, I do like this. I, I I appreciate that it tries. I appreciate that it it has ambitions and that it's trying to include interesting images and ideas. Uh, I it, like the music and I like that they're if they're going to try to imitate somebody at least they're trying to imitate eraserhead which is a pretty fucking cool movie so yeah i give this two stars as well
0: you know when i first watched a david lynch film and i guess every other time afterwards um whether it's you know a film or twin peaks i never really try to extrapolate what's going on i really just get lost in the imagery and what's going on and just let it affect me so that's what I was
1: trying to get at is yeah, that. Yeah,
0: but yeah. so then like th- that did not come across my mind at all with this film and like I immediately started trying to dissect it. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm going to be meta about this. Is it because we we're doing a podcast that I decided to dissect it or is it like you were saying where this guy just kind of missed some sort of directorial mark? It made me for- not forget that I'm watching something. I I,
1: th- I think that really is it. That's it for me anyway is if if you are going to get away with that sort of, Abuse of the literary image uh, it, abuse of literary devices all right um you've got to have a lot of skill to pull that off it's just like if you're. Gonna, if you're going to use a rhetorical question in your writing or you're going to use like a metaphor in your writing you better use it well and it's not that easy to do well. It's the same way with this, like all of the seams show, all of the stapled together bits are visible because there's just not the command of tone that is, and, and technical uh, abilities that's necessary to pull that off. That's my theory. But if this director had had a chance to make more movies, maybe he would have gotten there. Um, so that's why I'm kind of disappointed that this was his only thing
0: maybe he has made other films under a different name since you know he fled the country to avoid (laughs) prosecution from the film studio for blowing all their cash i mean usually imdb
1: (laughs) catches those things (laughs) those name changes but uh anyhow speaking of uh different names uh different films let's consult the magic eight ball and see what we're doing next week All right, so next week, we're doing our first Lucio Fulci movie. I don't know how it took us 50-something episodes to get to Fulci, the Italian godfather of gore, but we're getting there. And we're going to do a a relatively obscure one from 1988, which is usually seen as after Fulci's genius period. Uh, And the film is Touch of Death have you ever seen this one or even heard of it no it's uh it's like full idea of a black comedy and it's got you know the cool gore and deaths and things that his other films have and, and I think he's a master at like mood and imagery in the same way I was just describing um by the way uh but this one too, I think this one's really funny like it's really really funny to me it's about a a gigolo who dates and kills middle-aged women just because he likes watching them die it's it's uh and then he eats oh yeah them. sounds hilarious yeah then he then he eats them. wow well, yeah <laughs> <laughs> what a laugh riot well, viewer, check it out if you haven't before and judge for yourself. Uh maybe I'm just a really sick bastard and you can tell me that on Instagram. Uh we are at video.store.nightmares and yeah. Tell me if I'm a if I'm just a warped perverted film viewer, but I find Touch of Death really funny. So we could we could talk about it next week. I hope Leland agrees with me. So where can we find this
0: movie?
1: Let's find out. I think it's on. I actually don't own it. So um, it has to be streaming
0: on YouTube. It's for rent. So you're not going to be able to find it um, for free, unfortunately, unless was it 1988. Um, So you can rent it on Amazon for 2.99. Oh,
1: man, I got to pay money. All right. And, and it really is worth it. I think you'll like it. All right, but any last words for this week?
0: Thank you for your continued
1: support. And we will talk to you next week about Lucio Falci's Touch of Death. Oh.